farm diaries. By the time you read this, winter will be upon us. Having lived here for a decade, I know that one morning I'll wake and winter will have wrapped its hands around the house. Outside it will be dark and the cold will press a silence on puffed up birds. Deep in the mud, frogs will sleep. When the light slides against the stone walls, it will show a world of bare trees. The riotous grapevine will be revealed as a tangle of dead sticks. The elms and oaks, having hung onto their leaves until the very last, are now bare and sculptural. Everything is stripped back, sunk deep into itself. It's a season that reminds me I need to slow down. As if to laugh at such a resolution, the days on the farm are too full to fit into the short hours of light. We shear ewes on winter's eve, and the juggle to keep sheep dry, line up the classer, shearers and rousies, has Jay busy. I plan a menu and write out a long shopping list to feed everyone. Just when I think I have a clear afternoon, I get the call to come and help in the yards. There's been a hiccup, a box up. I don't ask how. Jay is on the drafting gate, swinging it three ways. Young ewes to the left, middle-aged ewes straight ahead, and the old ewes to the right. We get into a rhythm. Zig, the little smithy cross collie, works at the back of the mob, her creaky bark intimidating no one. Geoffrey, Jay's young Smithfield, is tied on the back of the ute. His booming bark is full of swear words at not being asked to help. I suspect his enthusiasm may have been the reason for the box-up. But best not to ask, with weather looming. In early autumn we'd classed the ewes and rams were put out with them. At classing, each ewe is looked at. Her wool, her confirmation, her mouth, which shows how old she is, are all taken into account. Some might be too old to have another lamb, or their style of wool is too bold for what we're breeding for. Others have dodgy feet or are too small. Others still have a nick in their ear to show they didn't raise a lamb last year. Some might have a fault in their wool, perhaps a weak spot across the shoulders where the weather can get in. Those with the finest fleeces and confirmation will be bred with a merino ram. Their progeny will stay here, either as weathers or as future mothers. Those who have characteristics we do not want to breed into our flock will be joined to a Southdown ram, and their lambs will be grown for meat. The third mob will not be bred at all, and will be sold. Classing the ewes and putting the rams out is the beginning of our year, which seems almost at odds with the shortening days, the leaves turning and falling. But that was six weeks ago, and the oak still had a scattering of gold in its crown. Now it's completely bare. I leave Jay to fill the shed. Waiting for me in the house is a mountain of food to prepare and also a blank page to fill with words that seek to capture something of the life here. I think of the ewes I've been moving through, how the simple positioning of my body changes the flow of the sheep, how I can get that right and how I can also get it wrong. I've learned to read their body language, the flare of their nostrils, the slight edge of panic as they are forced up the race, the tension told in the grinding of their teeth. We shear them now because they are only just in lamb and still have time to grow enough wool to keep them warm through the true winter in July, August 
and down here, even September. They lamb more easily without a full fleece, and if the weather turns foul, they will take their lambs to shelter, rather than graze through an icy gale, as they would with a full fleece to protect them. As each mob moves through the yards, Jay will draft the rams off, and they'll return to their paddock. They'll be a shadow of themselves. The old boys seem to heave a sigh of relief, and put their heads down to concentrate on feeding, without the distraction of ewes. Some of the young chaps bustle around, trying to establish a new pecking order. The shearers, after a riotous cutout, will head on to the next shed. The ewes will return to the paddocks where they will spend the winter. But what about me? What will this winter hold? It's a question I write into my journal, one I don't know how to answer, but a question that's worth asking. I wish I could show you a merino fleece fresh from a sheep's back. We'd step into the shed and the smell of sheep would hit you. Your ears would ring with the whirring machines and the rousey's too loud music. Everyone will know their job and you'll feel in the way. But then you'll stand at the table where a freshly shorn fleece has just been thrown and you'll put your hands into its still warm story. Scenes will rise, wisps of mist on a foggy morning as sheep graze in a cloud. The tang of eucalypt from the tree in whose shade they've camped during the heat of the day. A trace of dust rising under hooves as they walk in the evening to the creek to drink. All this in five to six kilograms of wool. It will be then packed into a bale and leave the place it was grown to make a fine suit or a soft jumper. The sheep it came from will go back to the paddock and grow another fleece while the clothing will warm and protect the person who wears it. Each fleece has a story, most a sound, meaning the wool can take incredible pressure and won't break. A few are tender, meaning the wool has a weak point, a place where the sheep was stressed. Maybe there was a sharp drought and they had to search for feed, or maybe they had a hard time lambing, maybe a foot abscess or an infection of some sort, maybe a load of worms. Tender means there has been some trauma that produces a fault in the wool. I think about this a lot, about the honesty of wool, how it records the year that has been. As the ewes file into the shearing shed and then emerge bright white, almost unrecognisable, I think about my own body and how the various events of life have made it foreign to me. Puberty, pregnancy, menopause, not to mention the weight of grief. I think about how the sheep will grow another fleece and how that fleece will tell a new story. And I think about how our bodies do the same, how we store trauma and, no matter how we hide from ourselves, our stories are always told. Perhaps it also tells me, like a sheep growing a new fleece, that our stories too can be renewed. Thank you for listening to The Farm Diaries, a grazier podcast voiced by author and columnist Maggie McKellar and sponsored by Blundstone. An Australian icon since 1870, Blundstone remains 100% family-owned and Tasmanian-based. Blundstone boots have been a farmer's best friend for generations, durable, dependable and packed with all-day comfort. 
The elastic-sided series has proved to be an all-round favourite in the rural sphere and from that the 600 series was born. Based on their original iconic design, six styles were crafted for rural consumers. The pull-on kick-off convenience means that a hard day's work can be easily left at the front door. The 600 series is exclusive to the work, safety and rural channels in Australia and New Zealand, offering fresh takes on Blundstone's timeless styles. To view Blundstone 600 series, visit blundstone.com.au.